You are listening to a Cold Lake Community Church podcast. We hope today's message inspires you. Cold Lake Community Church, a place where families connect. All right. So this morning, um, the title of this message is Salt and Light. It has kind of morphed into two messages. So this morning is going to be part one, and we're going to be talking about specifically salt. I'm just open with a word of prayer. Father God, I just thank you, Lord, for the life that you've given us. Jesus, I thank you, Lord, for your word, which is so accessible to us today in 2018, God, through through all of our phones and internet and all the Bibles that we have access to. Holy Spirit, I thank you, God, for your presence that's here this morning and in our life. And God, I ask that you would open our spiritual minds and our spiritual ears to hear your word, God, that it would penetrate deep into our hearts this morning. God, that we would be a people who continually are being conformed to your image. God, who reflect your character and your glory in an increasing way every day. In Jesus' name, amen. So salt. Salt is a product that all of you will know is probably sitting on your dining table right now in a salt shaker. And salt has thousands of purposes. We use it to flavor and to preserve food. We know very well living in the north that we use it to de-ice roads and sidewalks. We use it in agriculture to create fertilizers. We use it in cleaning and purifying. Salt is used in industrial chemicals. It's used in water conditioning. It's used in the production of plastics and paper and glass and polyester and rubber and household bleach. It's pretty amazing when you begin to look into all the purposes that salt is used for. Fortunately for us, salt is a very, very readily available mineral. as a very, very useful mineral. In the time of the New Testament, salt was widely used for flavor as a preservative for food to prevent it from spoiling. They didn't have the same refrigeration that we have here today. And it was a very important thing. And even after people died, salt was a very important part of conditioning a body and getting it ready for a wake or a funeral. And so salt was something that was used daily, just as much in the past as it is today. And it was a vital part of society. In fact, salt was so important in the ancient world that there were times in history that the Romans actually used salt as currency. It was that precious. And Roman soldiers were compensated in salt. And it's believed that this could be one of the origins of the modern word salary, which I learned this week, which I thought was kind of interesting. Jesus calls his disciples the salt of the earth. And so that is you and that is me. That is all of us who have chosen to live for Christ, who have received Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. It's an amazing thing. We're called salt. In Matthew 5.13, he says this, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. Here in this context, Jesus is saying that there's salt that is useful with great effectiveness, but there's also salt that can become useless and can be thrown away. In Matthew 5, Jesus speaks about salt in regard to flavor. 
salt can become useless in food once it's lost its saltiness. As a Christian who's failed to preserve their Christian character can disrupt their Christian witness in the world. And a life with Christ is simply not more than an adornment. You know, sometimes we hear the term Christian thrown around very loosely. And I know before I was saved, before I ever met Jesus, if somebody had asked me if I was a Christian, I probably would have told them yes, because my grandmother was part of the Church of England. And it was, I almost believed it was like something that got passed down like your heritage, like I'm Canadian because I was born here. My grandmother's in the church, so don't I somehow have some claim to something? That's how I used to think. And boy, was I wrong when I actually opened up the word of God and began to see that we are not a Christian because of osmosis. We're not a Christian because our nation once upon a time was considered a Christian nation. You are a Christian if Jesus is your Lord and Savior. If you've made the personal decision to accept him as Lord of your life, anything other than is just a label that doesn't really mean squat. What's amazing about, that I've learned in my walk with Christ is walking with God is just so much better than not having God in your life. And anybody that, you know, has been raised in the church that's had the presence of God in their family, in their home, their entire life are blessed. Because the contrast of not knowing what God, having God in your life to the difference that it makes when you're surrounded by the presence of God and his love and his grace and his mercy, our parents in your life are so stark. And so last Sunday, we witnessed a really amazing thing. We witnessed 12 lives who are fully surrendered to Jesus Christ. Yeah. And um, it was an amazing baptism. Do you know what? I heard multiple people say that they think it might have been one of the best baptisms they've ever witnessed here at Coley Community Church. And it's because of what God is doing. It's what God is doing despite me. <laughs> Let me put it that way. And God is good, and he is moving despite my deficiencies, despite your deficiencies. God has a plan and a purpose, which we are all part of. We are partners in God's great plan for this region, for Cold Lake. If he's planted you here, if this is your home church, then God has a plan and a purpose for you here on Cold Lake and a plan and a place for you to live life with people here at Cold Lake Community Church and a place for you to serve here at Cold Lake Community Church. And what's amazing about baptismal services, we get a chance to celebrate the death of a former life, a life um, that was perhaps shrouded in, in the pursuit of selfish ambition. And we get to celebrate the choices that people have made to choose Christ, to live for Christ. And uh, it's an amazing thing, an amazing, amazing thing. But one thing that is important is that it's not by any means of our own that we become salt for the purposes of the kingdom of God, that we become influential to the kingdom. It's by the work of the Holy Spirit working in and through our lives in which we will begin to see the kingdom advance, to see people come to the Lord. And we have a part to play, and our part is obedience. Our part to play is a life surrendered, as we heard this morning. Our part to play is to love God and to love people everywhere we go, absolutely everywhere. And when we do that, when we are a life surrendered that's willing to serve, that is seeking the face of God and seeking his righteousness, the kingdom can't but grow.
and it will grow, and we're going to see amazing things here in Cold Lake. Here in Matthew 5.13, I want to read it again. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It may seem like a very interesting concept to discuss today in 2018, this concept of salt losing its saltiness. You know, sodium chloride, the, the compound that is salt, in its purest form is actually very stable. It's a very stable compound. And pure salt doesn't lose its saltiness. You know, it's recorded back in the day of Jesus that people used to use the shores of the Dead Sea to extract salt. And they'd use other areas that had natural salt in the sands and in the soils, and they'd extract them from places that they called salt marshes. And they would dig up this salt that was usually anything but pure, usually intermixed with other, other solubles. It was mixed with other minerals and impurities. And depending on how the salt was stored, if it came in contact with moisture, then some of the sodium chloride would leach out and it would dissolve on contact with water, leaving a diluted residue and crystals that were no longer salty, the, the remaining minerals that were part of the composition. And it's believed that this residue was often just thrown out and disregarded because it basically didn't have real purpose. It was thrown out on the street where people would just trample on it and it would just become part of the paths that they walked on. As Christ's disciples, we need to be salt that is useful that's effective, and that makes an impact on the environment around us. We are the salt of the earth, having an impact that draws others to thirst after the kingdom of God and want more of God is what we do. It's a natural flow of God working in our lives. It's an exciting thing. When we are walking in relationship with God, exuding his love and his character, people will be attracted to us. People will be attracted to you when you love selflessly, when you have a joy in your life that surpasses the average man, the average woman. People will be attracted. You know, just a couple weekends ago, um, here on a Friday night, some of the youth were having a testimony time about YC. And uh, one of our young men was sharing about an interaction that he had with one of our other youth at school quite a few months ago. And... He said, you know what, one day, you remember when we talked in that hallway and uh, we had that conversation, you brought up God and we talked about God a bit and I didn't, he didn't know what he believed, but she shared about her faith and something that stood out to him was her joy, how happy she seemed to be all the time. And he just said, you know what, thank you, that was, you were a vital part of my, of my wanting to come to Cold Lake Community Church because I knew you came here and you were just so happy and nice to me all the time. And the girl took the mic after and said, I find it really interesting that you thought that I was happy, that I had joined my life. Because last year, when we had that conversation, I don't exactly even remember the conversation that we had, but it was the worst year of my life that I can remember. I felt sad every day going into school. It was horrendous. But somehow, God, I was still pursuing God and still trusting in God, and somehow you must have seen God in me. Because it wasn't anything I was doing by my own human will. And that's the type of presence that we have that is not dependent on our feelings. If we live our life dependent on our feelings, we're going to be like a piece of driftwood just swaying back and forth. We're not a piece of driftwood. God has a purpose and a plan. 
And what he does is he constructs us. He builds a mast. And he puts a rudder on us. And the Holy Spirit comes, but it's still us, still up to us to choose to steer our path every day, to choose to obey where God wants to take us. And if we're not seeking God, if we're not spending time in the presence of God, we're not going to have anything to give to other people. We're going to be drained. We're going to be empty. Because it's God really that does the work. It's Holy Spirit in us that transforms lives, that draws people to himself. And we are just there as vessels, bearing the mark of Christ, his Holy Spirit inside of us, being led and directed by him. How we live and conduct our life matters. God calls us to be a holy people, a people who exemplify his love and his character. But we must always remember that our righteousness is not our own. Our righteousness is not because of how good we are and how well we behave and how Christian we appear to be from the outside. We are saved because we put our faith in Jesus Christ. And our righteousness is an exchange. We take on Christ's righteousness and he takes on our shame. He takes on our sin. He takes it away from us and replaces it with life, with hope, with eternal life. It's an exchange of sin for Christ's righteousness and his life. And when God looks upon us, he sees his children. He no longer sees our past mistakes. He doesn't see your failures. He doesn't see your deficiencies. He sees Christ in you. He sees a beloved son, a beloved daughter that he loves, that he has a plan for. And we have to remember that it's not our behavior that qualifies us before God. It's our faith and it's our relationship with him that matters. You see, God is stable. He's like that compound of salt that's very, very stable. And he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he's salty all the time. All the time. There aren't day, the God doesn't take a day off. Did you know that? You know, you maybe have seen Bruce Almighty where Morgan Freeman, God decides to take a vacation. God doesn't take a vacation. The dark ages were not God's vacation. The, the hardship in your life is not God taking a day off. God is there and he's just as present as he is in the good days. He's salty all the time and he is good all the time, and that has to be a foundation of what we know and believe about God, even when we don't seem to be experiencing it in the moment. We have to know that God is good, and we need to be able to taste and see that God is good, and other people need to be able to taste and see that God is good, and that happens through our lives when we rub up against people. In a way, it's kind of like being a salt lick out in a farmer's field. You know, there's all these cattle lowing, all these, all these people live in their life, and then they rub up next to you, and they realize, man, something tastes different about you. I can't put my finger on it, but there's something different about you, and I lick it. Um, <laughs> mm -hmm. God is salty all the time. Our saltiness, however can change. It can be impacted by the choices that we make, by whether we choose to fill our lives with the presence of God, whether or not we choose to approach life with gratitude and a good attitude. And, you know, it's interesting in this scripture here, 
you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has become tasteless, has become tasteless, or to lose its taste in the Greek is moranthe. And the literal translation for to lose its taste is to become foolish. In fact, Jewish rabbis for centuries have used the word salt in referring to wisdom. A foolish disciple is one who has no influence and lives in continuous unfruitfulness. A disciple whose character fails to become more godly over time. A foolish disciple is a person who's strayed from the teachings of Christ and chosen to conform instead to the ways and the thinking of the world and the philosophies of men. As a Christian, it can be difficult at times to avoid conforming to the thinking patterns of this world if we neglect filling our lives and our minds and our hearts with the word of God, if we unplug from fellowship and we go long periods without entering the presence of God and living with Christian people and Christian fellowship. Matthew 6.33 says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. You see, most of us work in secular environments. And um, some of you may be the only Christian person or maybe one of the few Christian people that you work around. And I understand that. I've worked in many secular environments. It was only a couple of years ago that I was working in the oil field doing pipeline inspection. And I've worked in restaurants. I've worked in kitchens. I've worked in all sorts of areas where there's some very interesting folks. And I know sometimes we work in places that people swear a lot. People tell jokes that you could never repeat from the pulpit. The conversations that you have can be quite against the grain of righteousness and holy living. I understand that. But you know what? God is bigger. God will sustain you, and our Christian witness and testimony is important. It's very, very important. We have to remain salty. We cannot lose our saltiness and conform to the world. We're also going to lose our effectiveness, and we won't be fruitful disciples. I understand this challenge of following Christ and desiring to be a good ambassador for him in extreme conditions. It's not always easy, but God is faithful. And I know over the last few years when I was working with my crew and going from site to site to site, we worked all over. One day we'd, and one day we might be at Osom, at Husky, and at Sonovas, Foster Creek. We'd be all over the place. And I met all sorts of different types of people. But God opened doors and blessed me with the opportunity to have some really awesome conversations to talk about God even to pray for people on rare occasions. And um, we are called to be in the world, but just not of it. But the problem is sometimes we insulate ourselves within the church environment, within church, and we create all of our associations, maybe outside of work, our Christian people, and we begin to isolate ourselves. And then sometimes a little bit of compromise comes in. And all of a sudden, we go from rather being in the world, but not of it, we become exercise from the world and looking a lot like it. If we look just like the world, there's no distinct difference between us and the person down the street that doesn't know God, that doesn't have eternal life in them. There's something wrong. There's something wrong. When we lose our Christian values, our teachings, our morals, our ethics, we compromise our character and our integrity, and so on, we become like the world when we become unfruitful. And at this point, we do not serve the purpose that God intends us to serve 
in our community, in our workplaces, in our families. And we become like salt that's lost its taste, that no longer performs its intended function. And it's not the salt itself, because pure salt never loses its taste, but it's the impurities and the other things that intermingle it. There's a reason that God called his people to be a holy people set apart from everyone else. There were times where they weren't supposed to intermingle with other people and intermarry because it creates problems. And God calls us to be holy. It doesn't mean that we don't associate with people, but we need to know who we are and not compromise who we are, know where identity is, and not compromise because of peer pressure. It seems funny, you know, when you're in school and they talk about peer pressure and we talk about peer pressure with youth all the time, that it's like just as much as an adult in a workplace, you know? When people around the water cooler are talking about something or gossiping about something, sometimes it's just as easy to talk negative or, or to, you know, be part of the conversation than to walk away or to confront somebody and say, hey, that's not right. We don't talk about that person's my friend and, you know, and... Um, it's important that we don't lose our flavor. William Barclay puts it this way, when a thing loses its essential quality and fails to perform its essential duty, it's not fit for nothing but to be thrown away. Here in the scripture, Jesus is saying, if you can't be salt that preserves and flavors, we can't be fruitful for the kingdom work that he's called us to do. The people that you work with, the people that you rub shoulders with every day, your neighbors, the people that you spend the most time with, do they know you're a Christian? And if the ones that don't know you're a Christian, if, if they found out, would they be surprised? Or would it be a confirmation of what they already knew? That there was something different about you? Just a thought. You know, Jesus was explaining that there's a salt that's useful, that has great effectiveness. And there's a salt that's useless and can be thrown away. And we as Christ's disciples need to be salt that's useful and effective that makes an impact and impression on those that we interact with. We can begin becoming more salty today. And this happens as we begin to prioritize our life. We need to seek after first what's most important and lay aside everything else that's hindering us from knowing Christ better and living the life that he's called us to live. Hebrews 12.1 says, Therefore, since we have such a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Let us lay aside that which it hinders us and know that people are watching. People are watching us all the time. Moms and dads, if you're in this room, our kids are watching us all the time. And uh, it's scary to think sometimes what my kids know about me. They know when I say, okay, kids, time to put the chips away and then sneak one as I'm putting it back into the cupboard. <laughs> no more. You've had too much. <laughs> uh, good thing they're young and they can't really talk yet and be like, hey. No, every day... Every day I'm reminded of things, of double standards that I have in my life that I'll apply to my kids and then won't even apply to myself sometimes. But you know what? It's interesting because when you love your kids and you want to set a standard for them, it's like sometimes you love your kids more than you're willing to love yourself in that moment. 
you know, you'll be more careful about what your kids are eating, making sure that they have balanced food than what you're eating. And um, I'm just going to leave it at that, that one. But um, the point here is seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And everything else will be added on to you. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for there shall be satisfied. This scripture here is a couple scriptures before the scripture speaking about salt. And it's in the Beatitudes. It's in Jesus' teaching here at the beginning of Matthew 5. Righteousness. I want to say this morning that righteousness is more than just being good. It's more than being well-behaved. It's more than just living a moral life. A righteous life is a life that's fully oriented, orientated towards God, towards God and his will. And it's living and doing life God's way. It means loving God and living by the word and allowing the Bible to inform every area of our life. Allow the Bible to inform every decision. And we need a spiritual hunger and a thirst is vital to be effective. If we're not hungry, if we're not thirsty, if, if, if getting into God's presence and pursuing him is not as natural as going for your next meal after service, then we need to pray. Say, God, I need you. I need a thirst. I need a hunger that's stronger than my natural thirst, stronger than my natural hunger. And this is one of the reasons why we pursue the spiritual discipline of fasting is intentionally recognizing that we need God, that we need to be poor in spirit, that there's nothing we can do without God, that he is our source, that without him we are nothing, and we desperately need him in our life. Righteousness is doing life God's way, and we need a spiritual hunger if we're going to be effective. Psalms 42, 1-2 to says, As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O Lord my God. My soul thirsts for God, my living, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? I was thinking about this in context of service. You know, have you ever been in a service where you have to go? <coughs> maybe it's an evening service, or maybe it's a camp meeting or somewhere and you have to go because you have a time constraint or your kids need to get to bed or for some reason you have to go but you really don't want to because the presence of God is so good. And you leave that service thinking, God, when can I go and meet with you again like this? My prayer is that would be a regular thing. That daily, every time we end our encounter with Jesus, every time we end our devotional, every time we end reading our word and entering the presence of God, when we have to leave it and go, go do our next thing, God is still with us. His presence never leaves us, but that when we go, we, we are so thirst for God. Like the psalmist says in, four verse, in Psalm 42, thirsting for the living God. God, when can I go and meet with you again? St. Augustine once wrote, Thou madest us for thyself, and our heart is restless until it rests in thee. Living life without God is a restless place. And when you've lived life with God, you've encountered his presence, and you go a season where you rarely enter his presence, life becomes restless. 
It's not fun to be restless. But you know what? When we encounter God and we allow him to be Lord of our life, Jesus, the Prince of Peace, enters our life. And our restlessness can cease. It can be replaced by a passion and a burning desire for the kingdom of God and for Jesus. When we have God in our life, we discover a solid rock in which we can build our life on that's dependable. The one thing that is true, the person of Jesus Christ. And this hunger and thirst that's in us needs to be greater than food and drink. A hunger to fill that God-sized hole in our heart that only God can fill, a hole that when God does fill it, it makes us whole. We must long for him. We must seek God diligently and put a priority on seeking him and his kingdom and his righteousness first. First and foremost, by aligning our life with the word of God. If we don't have a strong desire to know God better and deeper, we need to pray. And we need to get before God and pray for that rekindling fire of passion to burn again. We need to spend time in his word and in his presence. And I also encourage you to spend time with those who are new in the Lord and are passionate. Find somebody that just got baptized on Sunday, invite them out over for dinner. And see if you don't start feeling a little bit more passion after that meal. Because there was passion last Sunday. It was, it was amazing. And there's, God is moving in some unique ways and stirring people's hearts in some new ways. And we want to all be part of it. We don't want to be in the church standing there outside of it watching it happen. Because revival begins with us. It begins with you inside your heart saying, God, I'm going to be uncompromising. God, I'm pursuing you with everything I have because, God, I need you more than air. God, I need you. I need you. I need you. A soul that thirsts for the living God. There's something that Lance used to say once, and Pastor Lance, our former pastor, used to say that sometimes some things just need to be caught. They can't be taught. You know what? When God begins to move, sometimes it's not book learning that's going to help you get there. It's going to be just diving in, being willing and ready to serve, being willing and ready to get on your knees and humble yourself before God and just be a willing servant. And God is going to do some amazing things. It doesn't mean we put the book learning aside. We need that because we need the word of God to know that we're on the right track. We need the word of God. We need to live by the word of God. We need to know the word of God so that when the spirit's moving and telling us things that we can confirm that it is in fact the Holy Spirit. We need to know it's God. And the one way we know is God will never tell us something that contradicts his word. If it's not in alignment with the word of God, you need to think twice about that. Maybe even lay it aside altogether, just disregard it because it's not going to be from God if it disregards what is said in the Bible. Isaiah 55, 2 says, Why do you spend your money and your labor for that which is not bread and labor for that which does not satisfy? Hearken diligently to me and eat what is good and delight in abundance. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live. True abundance is not a bigger paycheck. True abundance is not trading your time 
for a new car or a quad or a camper trailer. Although those things are pretty awesome. Abundance is having rest and fulfillment in Christ alone. It's having a relationship with God in which you can fully trust and depend on him. You can trust him with your work. You can trust him with your paycheck. You can trust him with your family, with your sickness. You can lean on him in your depression and know that he is good and that he loves you. Knowing that Jesus is the author of life itself and he is the pure salt that is stable and never changes, makes life worth, that he is the thing that actually makes life worth living and the only way to live life to the fullest. One thing I wanted to share this morning was a thought. Don't wait until an emergency, until the crisis, to get your life into alignment, to realize what's really important. Don't wait until you lose your job to realize that money is not everything. Don't wait until you work, 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 work and neglect your family. Don't wait until your wife decides to leave you before you decide to make your family a priority. Don't wait for that rock bottom before you decide that you can fully trust God with everything. Make it today. Make today the day that you decide you are going to trust him with everything, that you're going to put God first, and you're going to put your family second, and everyone else third. And all that other stuff, well, I don't know. But God, your wife, your kids, your husband, your family, and your neighbor. Don't put stuff, don't put work ahead of people. It's a disastrous path that um, so many of us fall for. Do you remember in John 4, there's a story about Jesus meeting up with a woman, a Samaritan woman at a well. It was Jesus asked for water. And they had this conversation in which Jesus says, everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I give will never thirst. But the water that I give will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. This is the difference between Jesus Christ and every other faith out there. Jesus Christ is the source. He's the well. He is the living water. And so it's like the difference between buying an apple or owning the vineyard, owning the orchard. Jesus owns the orchard. And as sons and daughters of Christ, we are now joint heirs. We now are part owners of the orchard. And so we don't need to just sell the apples. We get to consume and eat whatever apple we want whenever we want it. But we need to share our apples. We can't hoard what we have. We can't hoard what God has given us. We have to share it. It's something that there's something in us that just compels us to want to share what we have. It's living water. It has to flow. It has to continually flow out of our life. If not, it'll become dead and stale. I spoke about that a few, about a month ago. Jesus, the well of water springing up to eternal life. 
we need to place our relationship with God first in every part of our day. We need to wake up and make Jesus the first thing we think about. Not our money problems, not that work crisis, God. And he will create a stability for the rest of our day. He'll give us a peace and he'll be with us the rest of our day and we'll be able to overcome whatever obstacles come our way. Because it's here in the presence of God that we're replenished, that we're truly satisfied. When the Holy Spirit empowers us and reaffirms the abundant life that we now have in him and resources us to accomplish the will that he has for our lives. You know, God's not going to ask you to do something that he's not going to resource you to accomplish. But you know what? He, I guarantee you that if you continue to pursue God and you're a willing participant, God's going to ask you to do things that are far outside your comfort zone. He's going to ask you to do things that are far outside your natural talents and abilities. And there's going to be moments where you're going to have to say either yes or no. You're going to have to take the step and trust that God is going to enable you to fulfill what he's called you to do or not. But you know what? God is going to enable you if you step out. He will enable you. And he's going to be calling us to do some, some things that are bigger than we can do. How we're going to know it's a God thing is that not one of us in this room could accomplish it on our own, with our own strength. And God's going to be calling us to do some new things that are going to scare some of us, going to make some of us uncomfortable that might initially make us a little bit restless until we remember that it's God's church, that it's God's plan, and we are just to be obedient and walk in faithfulness of what God's calling us to do. Don't prioritize work and serving over people. We serve people. We serve God by serving people. Everything we do for people Everything we do for work, we do it for the glory of God. So don't belittle any opportunity to serve and to give and to be fruitful. This is something that I'm learning that is a continual place of learning for me. Not elevating people to the place of God in your life. Making God first and foremost And when you spend time with the presence of God, he'll give you the wisdom and the strength and the love to love all people as he does. To be the best mom and the best dad, the best husband, the best son, the best daughter. Colossians 4, 5 to 6 says, Conduct yourselves with wisdom towards outsiders, making the most of every opportunity. Let your speech always be with grace, as though seasoned with salt so that you will know how you should respond to each person. For centuries, Jewish rabbis have written about salt and likened it to that of wisdom. Even Paul, when speaking to the Colossian church, references salt. Let your speech always be with grace, as though seasoned with salt. You see, it comes down to wisdom and making the most of every opportunity to be salt to those around us. And we are to persevere and preserve and share the gospel so it'll reach as many people as possible. And the words that we speak should always be words that bring value, that bring life and encouragement and flavor.
And so if you find yourself sharing something or talking to someone and it's not bringing flavor, it's not bringing life, it's not bringing encouragement, it's not calling someone to a higher standard, you're not speaking the word of God, you're not speaking in alignment with the word of God, it might be best just to not talk at all. The words that we speak need to be of value. And the way that we speak and act reflects the character development that God has developed, how he's developing us right now. And we need to reflect the character of Christ. There needs to be a difference between us and the world. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? Let's be salt. Let's be effective salt that impacts the world around us for the kingdom of God. It's by the Holy Spirit working in and through our lives and surrendering our life to him that we're going to see some amazing things. But we need to be intentional and seeking the face of God and asking God for opportunities to share our faith and the hope that we have. And so this morning, I just wanted to conclude by, by, by saying a prayer. And um, if God has spoken to you this morning and you resolute in your heart that you want to be more salty, you want to be of greater influence in your life, you want to represent the love of God in a better, stronger, the best way possible, that you feel that God is calling you to, to be love, to be light, to be salt, in your workplace, in your family, everywhere you go. I just want to give you the opportunity to stand up, and we're just going to pray a prayer together in agreement. If you don't, that's okay. You can still sit and still pray along. But if you feel in your heart this morning, you need to be a little bit more salty. I encourage you to stand. I'm just going to close with a prayer. Father, God, I thank you, Lord, for the life that you've given to us. God, I thank you, Lord. And I pray, God, that we would always remain thankful. God, that we would remember the high price that you've paid for us so that we could have a reconciled relationship with you, Lord, that we could have eternal life. And God, I pray that you would give us the desire for the things of the kingdom of God. Lord, that we would thirst and hunger after you and righteousness. God, may we live fully lives surrendered to you. God, would you show us this morning the areas of our heart. God, the places in our life that need correction. God, would you give us the strength, the encouragement, and the humility to continue walking with you, your way, despite the hardship, despite the persecution and the weird looks that we might receive. God, I thank you that you are with us always. And God, I pray, Lord, that we'd be aware of opportunities in our day every day to share your love with those around us. God, moments where we can engage and love and meet people's needs. God, give us influence in our surrounding area, God, in Cold Lake and in the MD of Bonneville, in the town of Bonneville and Pierce Land. And God, I pray that your presence would continue to affect us and conform us more to look more like you, to be able to love like you love, selflessly. And God, that our influence and our effect, God, would continue to grow. God, help us to live your way.
Help us to know your word, God. Meditate on your word. Have a strong desire to read your word and the ability to obey your word. God, I pray that we'd be sensitive to your Holy Spirit, Lord, that we'd rest in you, God, knowing that you are life, that you are hope, God, that you are our strength in time of need. God, keep us salty. God, increase our saltiness. Increase our saltiness in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a little time of worship, and uh, then you're dismissed. If you need prayer for anything, please come to the front. I'd love to pray with you. And uh, if you've got to go, if you've got to pick up your kiddos, God bless you. Have an amazing week. You have been listening to a Cold Lake Community Church podcast. We hope that you've been blessed by this teaching from Cold Lake Community Church. Thank you for your continued support of this ministry. Cold Lake Community Church, a place where families connect.